For all is like an ocean. All flows and connects. Touch it in one place and it echoes at the other end of the world. Fyodor Dostoevsky, The Brothers Karamazov. Welcome to Tea, Toast, and Trivia. Thank you for listening in. I am your host, Rebecca Budd, and I'm looking forward to sharing this moment with you. The Karamazov read-along has reached a milestone in our journey. We are at the midpoint of the book. Liz Humphreys from Edinburgh, Scotland, and Elizabeth Vandermeer from Porvu, Finland, have joined me to look back on what we've learned and look forward to what may come. You may recall that a few months ago I received an invitation from my blogger friend and book aficionado Liz Humphreys to join her on a read-along of The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This read-along was to coincide with the 200th year anniversary of Fyodor Dostoevsky's birth. The stars aligned when Elizabeth Vandermeer from A Russian Affair agreed to join the party. Where are we? What have we learned? What comes next? These are the questions that will be discussed. So put the kettle on and add to this exciting conversation on tea, toast, and trivia. Welcome, Liz. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, Becky. Hi, Elizabeth. It's great to be back with you both to talk about our midpoint read-along. Hello, Becky, and hello, Liz. It's very nice to join you again from Porto in Finland. Good evening. And it's good morning in Vancouver, and we are here at the midpoint, and I could not have been at this midpoint if it wasn't for the two of you. Liz, you have been a brilliant guide on the Karamazov read-along. You were the one that started it. For those who have just listened in for the first time, can you give us a brief background on this amazing journey? Well, thank you, Becky. Really kind of you to say. And the point of the read-along is that it's a team effort. It started off with the three of us being enthusiastic about reading a book that certainly you and I, Becky, hadn't read before but Elizabeth knows it well, so we have her as our expert guide. And then allowing other people to join us as well has just created this lovely community of readers, hasn't it? I think it's a mixture of people like us that are completely new to the book and people who know it well and have read it many times. And so that combined input and sharing of insights and new findings, it's just a lovely feeling, isn't it? Day by day, checking in with each other. People that we don't know, they're all around the world that we've never met, and yet we've got this common interest, and it's a fabulous thing. For anybody that's just joining us and hasn't been involved in the read-along at all, we are reading, as Becky has just said, to the timetable of the anniversary of Dostoevsky's birth, which is on the 30th of October. There's still time to join in. It doesn't matter. There's no rules. There's no actual requirements or anything to be at any point in the book. What we're all doing is reading a chapter a day and sharing a little quote on Twitter and or Instagram from that particular chapter, something that just sticks out to us. And the good thing about it is that most often everybody who's doing the read-along is sharing different quotes. It really allows for that 
extra depth of understanding because with such a masterpiece like this, when you as one person is reading, you can't pick up everything in one go. So seeing everybody else's quotes makes you think, oh yeah, I remember that bit or I didn't even notice that bit or whatever. And it's just really adds to the depth of the reading. So anybody who wants to join in, they can do so, the more the merrier. You were right about the idea of community, Liz. The whole notion of being able to be connected through time and space, because we're looking at a book that was written many years ago and now has been presented to us in our current reality. So speaking to the whole idea of seeing the quotes, and it's been really exciting to see which quotes have been chosen. And I then take a good look at the other quotes and say, ooh, have I missed something here? And usually I have. And Elizabeth, when you don't know very much about a culture, except in terms of, oh, that was wonderful writing and there were great writers, but you have to experience a culture much deeper than the narrative itself. You have brought into our understanding books about Russia. What was the one that we are just reading, Dostoevsky, In Love? Yes, I think that it helped a lot. It makes the reading experience a little bit deeper and a little bit better because Russia is, of course, not our cultural background. A lot of the understanding of the Russian culture comes through books, in, in my case anyway. The more you read, the more you understand, of course, and you make all the puzzle pieces fit together at some point. Great biographies like the one Dostoevsky in Love, they add so much to a book like The Brothers Karamas. You really feel like you get to know the person, Dostoevsky, where was he coming from, why did he write, what were his beliefs. And I think that is a wonderful way to enhance your reading experience. I would agree with that as somebody very new to Russian literature and Russian culture and, and only experiencing it at a very superficial level through films or fairly stereotypical views of Russia in the Cold War and those kinds of things. I think it's just so helpful to have those extra layers of what life was really like. In this specific case, what was Dostoevsky's life like? What was the background to him reading these great masterworks? They didn't just appear from the heavens in fully formed, bound copies. They were the result of a life lived very richly and harshly in some cases. I think that really just adds to the enjoyment of then reading the novel itself. Well, there is many themes in this that you have to sift through. But the major one is faith versus reason. It seems that Fyodor Dostoevsky's central characters in The Brothers Karamazov are discussing whether God exists. If God exists, what is the moral meaning of this fact in a society that has increasingly less interest in religious faith? I found that within this theme, fleshes out the characters of Fyodor, Dmitri, and Ivan. And then you have Alyosha. I think that is a beautiful name. So how can we see faith versus reason in this? Because it seems to be a very important theme for Fyodor. Yes, exactly. It, it is the main theme of the novel. It's a question that's not so easily answered, although Dostoevsky's final solution to this problem was surprisingly simple. Let me start with a quote from Dostoevsky that is quite interesting in this light. 
Um, at one point he said, I can see the sun, but even if I cannot see the sun, I know that it exists. And to know that the sun is there, that is living. So basically he had the same idea about God. Even if you cannot prove it, just to know that he is there is enough to have this faith in God. Dostoevsky was very religious. He was an intellectual man also, so he would also question faith in, in certain ways. For instance, he has the four sons in uh, the Brothers Karamazov, who all represent a little different part, basically, of faith versus reason. For instance, Ivan, one of the sons, cannot believe in God because he cannot understand why, if there was a God, why would little children suffer? Famous problems in this book. So Dostoevsky was not blindly following the church. He was critical of the church. He was kind of interested in how the Russian peasant felt the faith. Because they are not very educated people, but still they have a very strong faith and they don't question this faith. So this was something that always fascinated Dostoevsky. At some point, he was, of course, in uh, Siberia in a prison camp, as we discussed in the previous podcast. And there he met, of course, lots of criminals, also mainly among the peasants, which made him question his beliefs again, how faith worked. He remembered at some point an incident from his childhood where he was out in the forest and he thought he heard someone cry wolf. So naturally he was scared, ran out of the forest into a field where one of the serfs of his father was working and this man saw that he was upset and he comforted him almost like a mother. And thinking about this incident from his childhood while he was in Siberia made him think that there is good in every person, no matter what their background is and no matter what they have done. As long as there is this glimpse of hope, this faith, there is hope also for recovery, for a better life. In this, he saw the role of the church more as a, a guidance role. So if the church would guide people into living a good life and would guide their religious feelings, then the world would be a better place. There would be Christian brotherhood of men. And this was the solution that Dostoevsky had for this problem. And that leads into the idea of his love for the Russian people. I feel it all the way through the chapters that I've read. There is a deep love and respect for Russia, for the people, and for their ability to see the good in difficult situations, because it was not an easy time to live. It certainly was not an easy time to live, and especially not for the serfs, of course, who had to do what their masters told them. And while Dostoevsky was in Siberia, he was there for 10 years in total. After four years of prison sentence, he also had to do some military duty. When he came back to St. Petersburg, Russia was not the same place. The serfs had been liberated. And this created a whole new imbalance in the society, how to deal with this new reality. At the same time, the Industrial Revolution was going on in full force, and people were starting to have rationalistic ideas and faith in God started to diminish. And Dostoevsky kind of stuck with his own faith, the one that he developed while he was in Siberia. And he kept believing in the good in every person. He thought that this faith in God, in spite of all the evidence against it, 
was a typically Russian thing. And in his view, it was even like a miracle. In spite of all your suffering, in spite of all the evidence on the contrary, still believe that there is a God and still have faith that is a miracle. And he saw that as the strength of the Russian people, and not only the strength of the Russian people, but he also thought that the Russian people would be an example for the rest of the world. The West, for instance, who have become far more detached from God even than the Russian people, that Russia would lead the way in this respect to a better world. Liz, when you read this for the first time, and Elizabeth, I want you to uh, comment on this. Did you find the emotive content of the dialogues? One minute, they would be happy. The next minute, they would be angry. And then they would leap to contriteness. It seems so unusual to have this type of emotion. It's partly what makes the book so readable. One of the things that was surprising for me was I was expecting it to be quite difficult to read, but the way that Dostoevsky writes the characters and the, particularly the dialogue is so genuine and real that you really feel very quickly that you're getting to know all the different personalities. And so even though there are a lot of characters, you can still tell them apart and you know who you're dealing with. And I think that it's quite a feat, isn't it, of writing to be able to create something that is so deep in looking at these very fundamental questions about what it's like to be human, as Elizabeth has so brilliantly described, and yet make it in the form of quite a page-turner in terms of what the characters do and think. Balancing all of that together is a masterpiece, isn't it? It's so clever. Well, remember, Liz, when we heard from Elizabeth that there would be humour, and there are places that I actually laugh out loud because it is humorous. He brings it out very well at unexpected times. It's not kind of over comedy, is it? It's more like the kind of comedy of life and the happenstance of life and things going wrong and people thinking that one person is going to be in this place when they're really in this other place and that kind of comedy of errors side of things. And people just being humans and being funny as well as cross and passionate and all the different emotions that a human being feels. I think there's definitely humour, lightness, amusement, as well as all the deep philosophical discussions that are going on. Do you remember this quote? I thought it was quite significant. It was in the drawing room scene. And Alyosha says... You are torturing Ivan only because you love him, and you're torturing him because your love for Dmitri is an obsession. Your love is a lie. <laughs> you have simply persuaded yourself of it. We would never say it like that, but that happens, and he was able to say it in such an emotive way, and coming from the most unusual character. You would expect that from someone else, but not from that joyful, kind, spiritual Elyosha. But here he comes up with this great idea. Again, it really adds depth to the characters, doesn't it? It's not just that Elyosha is the nice, kind one and Ivan is the cross one. They've all got everything as a human would. And so, again, it's the skill of the writer to bring out those three-dimensional aspects of all the characters. And then, so yes, you, you do get those unexpected passages where one of them will have 
some kind of outburst or, or whatever that you didn't expect. And that all adds to the pleasure of the reading. Elizabeth, I'm going to ask from the very first, I wanted to know who's telling the story. We don't know who tells the story. And we don't know if the story has happened in the past. There is this narrator that seems to know all the details and seems to know all of the particular conversations that happen. And he seems to be in every place at the same time. It's almost like an omnipotent person. Did you get the idea that there's somebody telling the story and we don't know when the story actually occurred? Yes, that is one of the bits that, about the novel that is unclear. Who is telling this story? On the one hand, of course, you have the narrator who knows everything, and even the people's deepest thoughts. So in this omniscient narrator, I think it's called in English, which the Russian novelists use all the time for their novels. And on the other hand, of course, you get a little bit of feeling in this novel that it's somebody who witnessed what was happening. So you get a little bit of a personal view a bit of a colored view of the story, how it happened. Dostoevsky himself was aware of it, that in this way the novel was not flawless, but he kept it nonetheless as it was. I suppose he had his reasons to do so. I'm really glad you asked about this, Becky, because I found quite early on after a couple of chapters, I was thinking, who is this narrator? Have I missed something? And I, I actually went back to the start to see whether whether I'd missed that, you know, this was a particular character. Or, and I ended up Googling it. And who is the narrator in the Brothers Karamazov? And, of course, it's obvious as the novel goes on, I should have been more patient, really, that it's just this sort of omnipotent person, as you say. I think that it adds to the accessibility of the, the novel that the narrator, because he is quite chatty with the reader, isn't he? Also, the tone is almost like, you know, perhaps the neighbour of the characters or something like that. So that it gives a bit of a kind of cosy feeling to the overall feel of the book. I think that, as I say, that it really adds to the accessibility of, of reading it. I think that that's actually why Dostoevsky kept it this way, because as you say, it, it adds so much to the story to have some kind of narrator who, who has heard what has happened. But on the other hand, of course, he also wanted to show the innermost feelings. So I think that that is why he left it this way, which adds, in my opinion, in many ways to the charm of the book. I agree. In fact, I felt like a welcomed guest and I was getting the intimate details. It just gives a wonderful, warm feeling to know that you're part of the story. Elizabeth, in a recent post on a Russian affair, you asked an excellent question. 200 years after he was born, Dostoevsky is considered to be one of the greatest writers of all time. But how was he seen in his own time? Could you enlighten us? Dostoevsky was already famous in his own time. He became famous with his first novel, Quite Overnight, and was seen as Russia's next great writer. Then Siberia happened, and he was not able to continue his writing career for a while. But after that, he came back with many, many wonderful, great novels like Crime and Punishment, Idiot, Gambler. Towards the end of his career, when he was writing The Brothers Karamazov, he was seen more and more as some kind of prophet by the Russian people. 
of course, because of his great belief in the Russian people, spoke to many people at the time who were also having similar questions that Dostoevsky was having about life, about faith, and how to combine these two things, how to move forward without losing your identity as a Russian person, what was the future of Russia going to be like. And Dostoevsky was very eloquent about this, and this appeals to a lot of people, and he gained this almost status of a prophet in Russia. At one point in Moscow, they revealed a statue of Alexander Pushkin to commemorate his birthday. This monument was unveiled and everybody was going to be there and writers were invited to give speeches. Only Tolstoy didn't turn up. He was at that time already against literature as an art form. But many others, of course, did, including Turgenev and Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky's speech about Pushkin became very, very famous in Russia. He got a standing ovation and people were beside themselves with enthusiasm about it. In this speech, he explained all his views on on Russia and uh, religion and how to move forward and the significance of Pushkin as a Russian writer. Towards the end of his life, he became a very important figure in Russian life as a thinker, as a philosopher, as an intellectual, but also as a religious person. Well, he asked the same questions that we are asking even today, because we are in what I consider a global search. It's not just nationwide, but it is global. How do we move forward? Very true. Nowadays, with the internet, we are much more international, of course, than we were before. It's only natural that the question has moved to a more global scale. That's one of the reasons why these works endure and why new generations come back to them again and again, because they are the eternal questions about life. And it's interesting to see what other people have thought about it over the many years but also a comfort to know that it's not a new question and that it's something that everybody has been thinking about all the time. Just having the opportunity to read these great works all through the ages, the enduring power of connection for us in this present through to people in the past and knowing that we were all human and we were all wondering about the same things. It's quite amazing, really. Liz and Elizabeth, we are almost to the end, and we're going to come back and talk about the Brothers Karamazov once more. But there's always an adventure. So let's say, where are we heading next? Well, how about Tolstoy next time? I think that's a delightful idea. What do you think, Liz? That is a brilliant idea. I would love to be able to spend time with Tolstoy in the company of Elizabeth. Tolstoy is her favorite author, we know, and it would just be a magical adventure. So yes, it's a date. Wonderful. And the other thing, Elizabeth, do you have any favorite or recommended books on Russian history? If you had any particular ones? This one I love. The book is called Natasha's Dance. Orlando Vige, F-I-G-E-S. Everything that you will encounter, basically, in a Russian novel. It's all about politics and also a lot about superstitions, Baba Yaga. (laughs) (laughs) I think also that it would be wonderful to do a superstition podcast, maybe around New Year, because that is the time superstition rituals 
are done in Russia, which is also very interesting. Liz and Elizabeth, any last thoughts? Well, thank you, Becky. It's been a, a lovely conversation once again. And just to reiterate, if anybody wants to join us, it's not too late. Share your quotes on Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag Karamazov Read Along, and we'll be able to find what you're saying and you'll be able to see what we're all saying. The reason that we still are very much interested in reading the Brothers Karamazov even nowadays is because it is such an everlasting theme that we are still thinking about today, thanks to the great skill of Dostoevsky. He wanted people to read it, so he wrote it so that people would enjoy reading it even now. Thank you, Liz, for your willingness to take on this massive project and for your invitation to enter the world of Russian literature. And thank you, Elizabeth, for adding your enthusiasm and insights on the Brothers Karamazov. It's always great to have the two of you with me as we go along this wonderful journey and adventure. Words from the Brothers Karamazov will enlighten the journey ahead. This is my last message to you. In sorrow, seek happiness. Fyodor Dostoevsky I am looking forward to the road ahead and to our next podcast in which we will celebrate the ending of a journey well made. And then we will start another. You can connect with Liz on Leaping Life and Elizabeth on A Russian Affair. You are only an internet click away from entering a world of books and brilliant conversations. Until next time we meet, dear friends, keep safe and be well.